it's good to be together every Sunday, but Father's Day is uh, it's a little special because God is our Father, and, and we, love, uh, we love that about Him, that He's adopted us into his, into his family. I was thinking this morning, Adam, as I was looking across at the McGew family over here, and Adam's our city councilman. I was remembering your first campaign, two victorious campaigns. Congratulations. This last one was a lot easier since no one ran against you. But um, the first time around, pretty contested. And uh, my wife and I were going door to door for you. And uh, Noah was with us, one of your sons, your three sons. Noah was going with us and going door to door, telling people about Adam and what he was going to do for the district and everything. And at some point, Noah said, as we're walking up one of the sidewalks, one of the houses, he said, or yeah, Noah said, I got this. I'm like, huh? And he said, no, no, you got to stay back here. I got this. And it was fun for several houses just watching him uh, go. And we're kind of there just in case, you know, but, but uh, go and talk about his dad with neighbors. My dad is running for city council. My dad, as we work through the gospel of Mark, isn't that what Jesus is doing? Jesus going door to door, talking to people about his dad, telling people about his dad. And, uh, and I love that. And, and, and that's the, me- the mission of Jesus is to talk about his father. And to share his father, because there were a lot of ideas about God that were just off. Uh, a lot of people had this conception uh, of, of God that was just not, not at all who he is in character. And so Jesus is constantly correcting those. We have a story uh, that I think hints at that today in Mark chapter 2. It's a life adrift. It's the man we meet in Mark chapter 2. No direction, no forward momentum, no hope. For a paralytic in Capernaum in the first century, there really wasn't a future. No hope of surgery, no miracle drugs, no radical therapy. Just more of the same. No wheelchairs, no handicap-accessible buildings around town. It was just a life adrift. He was just parked. Totally dependent on others. I don't know if you ever considered what that would be like to just be totally... I mean, you can't take a bath unless someone gives you... You can't eat unless... You can't get outside your house unless someone carries you outside your house. You are a burden. At least that's how you feel 24-7. And he felt, no doubt, the burden also inside of his soul of bitterness and resentment. As that question had to echo every day, why me? Why am I the one in this situation? I mean, he could hear outside the laughter of children playing on the street, the romantic banter of a young couple walking by. He could hear the Capernaum fish market down the way, the hustle and bustle of quote-unquote normal life going on without him. He heard the passerbys. He saw glimpses of life out the window, but his existence was just part. Pity was what people offered him. It was all they knew to offer him. The townspeople of Capernaum had pity on him, but that wasn't what he wanted. He didn't want people's pity. He wanted a life. But what he wanted and what he could expect were two very different things, worlds apart. 
And so there he lay day after day, night after night, in his home in the village of Capernaum, hearing the world go on outside his window. Now, the one thing he did look forward to was seeing his old friends. These four guys had had his back since childhood. They were with him thick and thin no matter what, while others ignored him or made fun of him uh, or talked about what had he done to merit such punishment from the Lord. While everybody did those sorts of things, his friends were there for him. They enjoyed his company, and he enjoyed their company. And on one particular day, the gang comes by, and they are chattering with excitement because Jesus is back in Capernaum. The young rabbi from Nazareth is the, is the topic everybody's been talking about, and he is back in town. During that first visit, we saw this uh, last week, the city was astir because in the middle of a synagogue service, Jesus had cast out a demon. Later that day, more demons were cast out, and all sorts of diseases were healed as people brought the sick to Peter's house where Jesus was staying, and he handled everything. The streets on this day of this seaside village are swelling with people. People from all around have heard Jesus is coming into town, and everybody wants to get a glimpse of this rabbi. So in the crowd, there are faces that show excitement, hope, and others a little more suspicious of Jesus. But these four faithful friends are resolved. I mean, 100% dedicated. They are going to get their friend to Jesus. No matter what, no questions asked, they will get their paralyzed friend to the feet of Jesus. And so they start carrying their friend on his mats through the narrow streets. Not a problem to figure out where Jesus was. He is the epicenter of the crowds. The closer you get to Jesus, the thicker the multitudes. And so they can tell the very house where Jesus is teaching. Not a problem. And as they get near, they see the late arrivals, like themselves, unable to get in. The press of humanity wedged into the doorway of that house by the sea. Everyone there to get a glimpse of Jesus. Some people on the fringe outside the door, kind of on their tippy toes, trying to get a look inside. And so the friends navigate this sea of humanity, and they get close, but they can't get close enough. They can't, despite all their duck dodging and weaving, they can't get inside the house. Now, architectural feature of houses of that day around Capernaum, most of the time they had a stairway in the back to go up to the terrace, to go up to the roof. And so what do they do? They carry their friend up the roof. They get right above Jesus. They can hear him talking below. Now the tricky part of the plan. They have got to go through the roof. All right? Through the roof. The roof is likely made of these large tiles that are held together by mud and thatch and so they start scraping and loosening the tiles just above where they can hear Jesus below they start piling up those tiles until there is a a shaft of light directly onto Jesus below them 
At this point, Jesus has stopped talking. I mean, there's no reason to keep teaching when something so distracting is happening, like the ceiling is opening up. People are, people are coughing and people are squinting. The dust from all that, mud, that dry mud and that thatch is floating down. Children are kind of giggling, <laughs> enjoying the scene. And these squinting eyes below are looking upward where the ceiling used to be. And they see these four friends. And they see the outline of the guy on the mat. I, I, I don't know how exactly this went down. But I imagine, because I'm just thinking if I was one of those guys, probably a couple of those friends up top, a couple of them kind of got down, kind of got themselves down into the room so that they could lower their friends safely before Jesus. And so that's what they do. They lower him in front of Jesus the paralytic man lying on that mat directly in front of Jesus. In my mind's eye, I have always imagined Jesus just smiling and shaking his head. Wow. These guys were willing to go to any length to get to me. And they certainly got his attention. This is a funny thing about the story, though. In Mark and in the other Gospels, as they retell this story, no one ever records the friends or the paralytic man ever saying a word in this entire encounter. So it wasn't their winsome speech that got Jesus' attention. It was what he saw, and what he saw was faith. Specifically, he saw grown men... Willing to carry their friend across town, unfazed by the barrier of humanity. Guys who would carve through any obstacle. Jesus saw four men willing to put their backs into their faith. Four men willing to work up a sweat for their faith. Four men who were convinced a miracle would happen. If they could get their friend to Jesus. And so he turns his gaze from these friends to the man laying before him. And Jesus saw, and he always saw, but he saw more than other people could see, didn't he? Everyone else saw a paralyzed man. Jesus first and foremost saw a crippled soul. With love in his eyes, Jesus looks at this man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That was unexpected. Unexpected by everyone. But those words washed over that paralyzed man like a tidal wave of sweet forgiveness. How many years had he been crippled, not just on the outside, not just in body, but in spirit by the bitterness and the resentment of the why me? And so now he lies on the floor with his eyes squinted shut tears coming out of the corners the relief of that wave of forgiveness yes my sins are forgiven my burden is lifted 
But in this scene of faith and forgiveness, there is a a darker theme at work. The theme of suspicion and judgment. In the room, there are these religious leaders who've come from all around to check out this young rabbi, and they've got a big problem with this. And in their defense, yeah, makes sense that you'd have a problem with this. Who does this guy think he is? Everyone knows only God can forgive sins. This is an outrage. It's blasphemy. And it gets us to a place this morning, and this is where we're going to get started on the outline with just a couple of foundational truths, because before we get deeper into what, what's going on in this story, we just need to acknowledge something about ourselves and something about Jesus. So everyone in the room thought the guy's greatest problem I mean, duh, the guy's greatest problem is that he's paralyzed. He needs physical healing. And everyone was wrong. That wasn't his greatest need. And guess what? It's not your greatest need. It's not my greatest need. Your greatest problem isn't financial, not physical. Most people have no idea what their greatest problem is. Have no idea what their real sickness is. It's not struggling to make the car payment. It's not the fight you just had with your spouse this morning before you came to church. It's not the rebellious teenager. It's not your loved one who is dying of cancer. Those are not your greatest problems. They're real problems. Not anywhere close to your greatest problem. Your most serious illness. Those things matter, but we just don't know ourselves all that well, do we? Because the paralyzed man's greatest disease and ours is sin. It is. That first bullet point there, know yourself. I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. The only problem, we've talked about this before, the only problem that will follow me beyond the grave is my sin. It's the only eternal problem I've got. And so Jesus looks at me and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Problem resolved. We are sinners separated from God by our rebellious iniquity. There is nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to handle that problem. We can't pile up a mountain of good works that somehow outweigh on the scale in God's eyes our sin. We can't earn our forgiveness. We can't buy it. All we can do is say yes when Jesus says, Hey, your sins are forgiven. Yes, Lord. Thank you. All I can do is believe the gospel story. All I can do is believe that God in human form, the Son of God, that He died on Calvary's tree for me. He lived a perfect life and He took my place on the cross. I can believe that. I can accept that forgiveness. And our sins drive us 
to the second foundational truth. This is not about knowing ourselves, but this one is about knowing Jesus. Here goes. He is the Savior. He is the Savior. He is the only one able to forgive my sin. The religious leaders said, hey, only God can forgive sins, or at least they were thinking that. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. He alone lived a perfect life. He alone is God in the flesh. He alone died on the cross for our sins. And now this odd little title, okay? As the Gospel of Mark starts out, Mark says Jesus, verse 1 in the first chapter, Jesus is the Son of God. And now this odd little title, Jesus calls himself what? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, folks in that room knew their Bible, frontwards and backwards, especially the ones who were thinking, who is this guy to forgive sins? And they would have known this reference, the Son of Man. Daniel talked about a Son of Man at one point. Check this out in Daniel chapter 7. They would have recalled these words, verses 13 and 14. The prophet sees this. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. So coming from heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. He was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Son of Man. Jesus in chapter 1 that we, we, we found last week, the core of his teaching is a teaching about what? The kingdom of God. And the Son of Man was telling people constantly, the kingdom, it's near. Repent, believe, the kingdom is upon us. And here we have this prophecy about the Son of Man, about Jesus by Daniel. Incidentally, the religious scholars were absolutely correct in their thinking. Only God can forgive sins. What they missed is that's what was happening right before their very eyes. This is God's own flesh and blood. This is the Son of God. He's the one before them who is forgiving sins. And the bigger miracle, back to that idea we were talking about earlier, the bigger miracle by far isn't that a paralyzed man suddenly was walking. The bigger miracle wasn't visible. And so the religious teachers weren't buying the bigger miracle that his sins were forgiven, that his only eternal problem had just been resolved. They weren't buying it. And Jesus, reading their minds, yeah, he knew they were 
questioning his authority, his dominion over sin. So he said, okay, which is easier for me to say? Is it easier for me to say, son, your sins are forgiven? Or rise up, take your mat, and walk? And so he turned to the paralytic. And he said, get up, take your mat, and go home. So that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. This is the smaller miracle. The man was healed. The nervous system rebooted. Muscles that had been atrophied and dormant for years suddenly began to fire. And he got up. And he took his mat. And that sea of humanity that had been impenetrable earlier in the story parted like the Red Sea. And he walked out the front door of the house. Mark lets us know that everyone was shocked and amazed. We probably could have figured that out on our own. And that was a moment that no one in that house would ever forget. I mean, you know this story is being told and retold hundreds of times as those people leave that room and spread out into the town and the surrounding region. And outside the house, there he is reunited with those four friends that brought him there. They're hugging, they're high-fiving, and they're running all the way back home. And where the crowds, where they just saw guys coming through the roof, Jesus saw a faith that was through the roof. And I want to talk about that this morning. What is it about that faith that Jesus saw, that Jesus appreciated, that he lauded? And the first thing is, and this is on your outline this morning, that that kind of faith, a breakthrough faith, is visible. It is something you can see. It's not something you just hear somebody talk about. You witness it. It is visible. My words tell you what I think. My actions show you what I believe. And there's that verse in Mark, right? Seeing their faith seeing their faith we're capable of saying lots of things it's unfortunate that too often we we conflate knowledge up here we conflate talk about faith like affirmations i believe this i affirm this about jesus i say this about the bible if you want to find out what someone really believes, don't listen to their words. Look at how they live. See their faith. If I want to figure out whether you're a good dad or not, I'm not going to ask you, are you a good dad? I'm going to watch how you, how you treat your kids. How are you as a dad? If you're terrified of flying, you've got a fear of flying. A lot of people do. 
You can read up on all the books, learn all the statistics and the facts about how safe air travel is. You can know all of that stuff and recite it. I don't believe you that you've overcome your fear of flying unless you get on board an airplane, unless you walk down the jetway, cross over the threshold, that door shuts and those engines turn on. I'm not a believer that you really have faith in flying. It's not about what you say. It's not even about what you think. Faith is about how you live. It's showing it. It's a lifestyle. And Jesus saw their faith. They never said a word. And the other thing about breakthrough faith is, and I love this about this story, it is communal. It's not just you and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. Faith, breakthrough faith, is a communal activity. Jesus didn't just see his faith, he saw their faith, right? I mean, like coals on a fire. Coals on a fire, we burn bright when we are together. And when you push a coal off, it cools and the light dims. We need to be together. Our faith burns hotter when we are doing life together. And check this out. I won't read this scripture, but I want to put this up from Mark 2, verses 3 to 4. Just the communal nature all the way through. Um, people brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. He was carried by four people. We need to carry each other in groups sometimes. Sometimes you need to do the carrying. Sometimes you need to allow people to carry you. Amen? They went to the roof. They did something kind of crazy intrepid, creative. They did that together. They lowered the mat. Being part of a church family is not an incidental, it's not an extra to the Christian faith. It is indispensable because breakthrough faith is communal in nature. Unfortunately, modern Christianity often reduces faith to a personal decision. We say things like, in evangelical Christianity, did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? How is your personal walk with the Lord? We say things like that, and we can very easily create the impression that a life of faith is a solo act. Biblically, it's not. It's a communal act. It's us together the people of God, the family of God. We need each other. If you were to take out the one another's out of the New Testament, it'd be a lot smaller, all right? <laughs> be short. But we're, Because we're connected to each other, we burn brighter when we are with each other, serving together, working together, doing creative things together, breaking through a roof together. We're doing stuff like that. Our faith is burning bright. Finally, and I confess, this one is a, is maybe a bit more of a stretch, but I think it's there in the text about breakthrough faith. So we've talked about visibility, the communal aspect of faith, but now responsibility. I think it, it's worth talking about here. Responsibility. Jesus, I don't know if you ever thought about it like this. Jesus is giving commands to the paralyzed man. He's not just talking to the sickness. He tells the paralyzed man there in verses 10 and 11, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, 
go home, three commands. Probably never thought of it like that, like Jesus is ordering this guy around. But now that his body has been restored completely, and his soul has been restored completely, it's time for this guy to take ownership of his life. It is not a life adrift anymore. Jesus is piloting this life. Get up, take your mat, go home. He had never done those things before on his own. He had never in his life gotten up. He had never taken his mat anywhere. He had certainly never gone home. I'm going to go home. Others had done that stuff for him. Others had done that stuff for him. And these simple commands, I believe, hint at the truth that in dynamic faith there is a responsibility, there is an ownership that you take now that you have been healed inside and out. Some people find Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, but really have a hard time getting up. taking their mat and walking. They continue, even after finding Jesus, to kind of float around, to drift through life. It's easy to keep being the victim because that's a role that they're used to playing and it's a mentality really, isn't it? And so some Christians encounter the Lord and then they fail to avail themselves of the daily strength that the Lord provides to follow him, to obey his commands. It's like, hey, Jesus, thanks for saving me. Now, hey, can you carry my mat? Can you carry my stuff? It's kind of heavy. It's kind of a burden. Why do I have to carry it? Why do I have to walk? And so when the Lord heals us and when the Lord saves us, he calls us to follow Him in discipleship. We not only put our faith in Him, we not only believe in Him, but He believes in us. He knows what you're capable of. He knows your potential. He knows you can be salt and light and make a difference in the world. If you'll take responsibility. And so we are called to shoulder responsibilities when we accept Jesus. I don't know how, unless you're willing to write out the whole take my cross and deny yourself and follow me. I mean, it's there. Paul talks about it in Galatians 6, 5. He says, each one should carry his own load. Do your job, Paul says to the church in Galatia. We aren't adrift anymore. We have a new captain at the helm. We are healed and we are whole and we've got a mission Get up, take your mat, start walking. Don't drift along pulled by the currents of your past, by old ways of thinking, by old ways of acting. Don't live as a victim. Your new identity is as God's child, forgiven and fueled by the Spirit of God. And so this morning, it may be that you need prayers. You need for someone to bring you to Jesus. Or maybe you're being called to be one of those faithful friends to bring someone before Jesus in prayer. And we would urge you to do that this morning. No better time than the present. Or maybe it's time to say yes to Jesus.
the only one who can resolve your eternal problem of sin. Say yes to him and begin walking as his disciple. However you need to respond, do that as we stand together in worship.